today I want to start a, a series. I've been thinking about this. You know, with the season we've just been through in 2020, and I don't want to keep pointing back, you know. Uh, but, you know, last year was, man, it was a, and that was a year, wasn't it? That was a year and a half. That was crazy. But a lot of things happened in that year, good things and not so good things. And one of the things that uh, that I think happened in, in that year uh, was that there was a lot of um, separating and dividing and dividing and divisions and and uh, just pulling apart and, you know, um, I don't know, I'm not misinformation or we were told it was a misinformation and then information that was outdated and all this and then who do you believe and then what it did is it created a whole lot of division lots and lots of division and so then and then of course then you add on top of that an election a polarized polarizing you know a political season of well that season lasted about four years I think you know but the thing is, is you add that to what we just came through. And let me tell you something. Let me read a verse first, and then I'll tell you a couple of things. This is uh, Psalm 133. Unity is God's plan. It's God's plan for your life. It's God's plan for the church. Psalm 133, 1 through 3 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren and sistren." <laughs> To dwell together in unity, to live together in oneness, in one accord. And we'll talk about what that means in just a couple of minutes. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, on Aaron's beard, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon, descending on upon the mount upon the mountains of Zion, for there God commanded the blessing. Where did God command the blessing? On the oil on the beard? Where did God command the blessing? Unity. When brethren, when, when, when his people live together in unity, when we do life together in unity, I don't have to have everyone in agreement with me. But I have to be in agreement with God, and there are certain things. Like, we don't have to agree on whether Mexican food is better than Chinese food, because we all know Mexican food is. You know, we don't have to agree on every issue and every point of everything. But the thing is, is there are certain things we have to agree on. And there's there's certain things that don't really matter. But when we make those those things that don't really matter. Oh, no, they matter to me, Pastor. They matter to me. Everything matters to me. I get it. I'm that way, too, in some areas. But the truth is, there's not that many things that bring the blessing of God if we can live in unity about the things that really matter, the things that really count. You know, uh, over the last year, there were so many issues and so many things, and I literally, like yourself, finally had to go to rehab over not watching TV, watching the news. You know, I'm still in rehab. Um, rehabilitating myself to watching the Lucy show or Andy Griffith or whatever because I can't go to those shows because I, I, I just, I, I, I just go back. I go back to that place because there's something inside of us that are deal breakers. Oh yeah? You don't agree? Oh yeah? 
Oh yeah? Well, the, oh yeah? And listen, the political junk that we came through that, you know what, now you look back and nobody wants to talk about it. In the media that were spinning it, they're going, now we got everybody where we want them. Whether they realize it or not, the enemy goes, now I got them where I want them. The whole world, they're all divided. They're all divided. No, we're not, we're not all divided, but I'm just saying there's things that have divided our world, divided our country, divided our, our cities, divided families and homes to the point, what's the goal? What's the end result? Pastor Jack used to have a message that he preached, and it was called, If I Were the Devil. And you know what? One of the things, I don't know if he ever said this, but I'm sure it was probably in there somewhere. If I were the devil, I would do everything I could to drive a wedge between every person, between you and your spouse, between you and your children, between you and your church, between you and your community, between you and anyone, your grocery store worker, your gas station attendant. I would drive, do everything that I could to drive a wedge between you and anybody that you could connect with because if one can put a thousand to flight, then two can put ten thousand. What does that mean? It means that we are stronger when we are together. I've had to do a lot of soul searching and repenting and asking God to change my heart and to turn off a lot of things that had a had a, an opportunity to come into my mind and into my heart over the last several months. You know, because Obviously, I just, you know, you know how things come in? Through your eyes, your ears, their eyes and your ears, and your mouth. When you say them, things come in. Take no thought saying, Jesus said in the Gospels. Take no thought saying. So we hear something, and we go, well, I just heard it, but then we repeat it. Oh, did you hear? Oh, we just took that thought. It's got some weight. It's got some value. So this is such a broad topic. This is such a broad thing, but here's the thing. Let's boil it down to what does unity look like? What does it look like in God's plan, in God's intention? What does, what does unity look like in the church? What does it look like? So basically, there's a few things that we get confused over that unity is. And unity is not that we all have the same opinion about music. It's not the same that we have all the same opinion about clothing style. It's not the same that we have the same opinion about uh, whatever jobs and what car you should be able. You shouldn't drive a car more than X amount of dollars or you shouldn't keep a car more. It has nothing to do with that. Nada. Nothing. It's really over things that God say matters. The things that God says matters. John, I love this verse. Joe and I, Pastor Joe and I talked about this on Wednesday on the, the podcast that, that we do midweek. And this is John chapter 17. And this is right before Jesus goes to the cross, okay? So you know what? When, um, when you have someone in there, they know their time is short, and they start calling their family members around, or they want to get their family on the phone because they can't get... What do they want to do? They want to... They want to mend fences. They want to make sure that they say the things that they know they need to say. They want to make sure they say, I want to know, I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that this is important. I want you to know that in that metal box, in that bedroom, yeah, the green one, the keys up, yeah, that's where it is. There's an, a, there is a, an, a, a, a life insurance policy. Don't forget that. Please don't let that get lost. They tell you everything that they can, oh, let me think, is there anything else? And not, and then they die. No, no. 
I'm just saying, when people's time's short, they begin doing business over things that's really, really important. Well, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And he's praying for his disciples. You ought to take time to read the whole chapter, John 17. But I'm just going to read two verses because he's talking to his father. Now, this is a conversation between Jesus and his father, God. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, for these 12. It's not just for my disciples. And actually, he only had 11 at that point because one of them had, had failed. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That's us. That's us. Jesus is saying, I'm praying for Ed and Deborah. I'm praying for all those that will come. I'm praying for everyone. He saw you. He knows your name. He knew who you, that you would be here today. He knew that you would be born on the day you were born. And he prayed for you right at this moment because he knew there would be a time that you would receive Christ. And he's praying. What's he praying for? What's he praying for? Oh, let him, you know, like when, when we teach our kids to pray. Let's, you want to pray for dinner? Yes, Lord, thank you for a good day. Thank you for uh, uh, all my teachers. Thank you for my food. Thank you. And that's a good prayer. I'm not saying knocking that. But Jesus is very, very focused about what he says here. Let's read it. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, through my 12 message, that all of them may be, everybody say it, in unity, one. That all of them may be one. One. Father, just as you and me, you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why was that so important to God? Why was it so important? Why can't we just live our life, man? I love God. I'll go to church. I'll, man, I'll even, I'll even do something. I mean, why, why is this so important for us to be in unity? I'll tell you why, because the next part of this verse tells you why. Because this was really the heart of God. He says, I want them to be one as you and I are one so that the world may believe that you have sent me so that the world will believe. Here's the deal. My bickering with my wife causes my neighbors to go, hmm, oh, that's Pastor Tom over there. <laughs> yeah. He invited me to go to church. <laughs> um, I told him, I think about it. <laughs> oh, that's Pastor Tom over at the gas pump who's having it out with the gas pump because it won't work, won't take his card, won't do whatever. <laughs> talking to the attendant like he's dirt. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The reason why God wants us to be in unity, number one, with him and with the body is because the, the, the eternal destiny of others depends on that. Let me read it again. You might go, I don't, I don't know if it's all that serious. It's life and death serious. It's eternal life or, or eternal death serious. This would Jesus is going to be going to the cross pretty quick within just a few hours, just a day or so. He's going to be going to the cross. And so this is the prayer that, you know what I'd have been praying? The prayer that he prayed in the garden over and over. Lord, if there's any way you can take this away, take it away. 
Lord, I would have been praying nothing else but that probably. Oh, God, can you find somebody else to do this? Oh, God, is there anything else that you can... Lord, let me, let me just give a double tithe, Lord. Lord, let me, let me go to the mission field for six months. Lord, don't make me go through this. Jesus was going to the cross, and he is basically sealing his heart's desire with this prayer with his Father. Father, that all of them may be one. Father, just like you and I, you are in me and I am in you. That they may be in us also so that the world may believe. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know, there's some people that say, I don't believe in Jesus. That's because they've never, either they're not telling the truth or they've never seen a Christian that has one heart towards God and towards others. Now, we're not to be perfect. I'm not standing up here saying I'm perfect. I'm far from perfect. I ought not be preaching this message if perfection is the, is the uh, qualifying factor. But that's what Jesus says here. He prayed for unity, and then he died for unity. And then he died for unity to seal it. To make sure. So what does unity look like in the church? Let's look at a few things this morning. Unity, number one, is a gift from God. You don't have to write anything down because I may not get through all of it and I want to make sure that we have everything. Every, they have it all. Unity is a gift from God. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that unity comes as a result of salvation. It doesn't come as a result of you and me getting together and saying, all right, I just won't call attention to that anymore. All right, I'll just, all right, I'll get over it. I'll get over it. it it's the result. It's a gift. First and foremost, unity is a gift from God. And it comes through salvation. Let's read this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 16 in IV. He says, but now... Paul's talking to the Ephesians. He says, but now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to you. He united Jew and Gentile, gringo and Mexican, black and white, Democrat and Republican. If we name the name of Christ, then we can have unity in Christ. It comes through salvation. It doesn't come through us agreeing on every point of everything. Are there things that I don't like about certain uh, values and certain political things? Yes. But the thing is, Jesus didn't come and say, I'll die for him and for her. Not a chance. And I'll die. He didn't do that. He came and laid his life down for every person so that they could be brought to him and that those that were brought to him would have the same relationship with him and with one another that he has with his father. Is this easy? As easy as chewing rocks. But the truth of the matter is, is it's all something that's done by the Spirit and it begins at salvation. Let me read on. Verse 14, For Christ himself has brought peace to us, united he united Jews and Gentiles into the people, into one people, when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law of commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, 
as one body, Christ reconciling both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Salvation is the place where where unity begins. That's where it begins. Because at the cross, it's all level. It's level at the cross. It's not about race. It's not about financial status. It's not about any of that stuff. It's not about your past. It's not about your accomplishments. It's not about how many, uh, how much smarts you have or how much smarts you don't. We have peace with God through the cross. And we also can have unity with him. We're in one accord with him. That's what he wants. And we can be in one accord with one another. But you know what it takes? It takes humility. We'll, get to, we'll try to get to as much as we can this morning. Unity among fellow Christians is a gift of grace, just like salvation. It's a gift of grace. We have to get the, the power. Grace is God giving you the power and the desire and the willingness to be one to come into unity, to come into one accord. Everybody's been hurt. Everybody's been built. Everybody's been deceived. I'm not talking about by people in this church. I just mean in life. Everybody's had issues that they can say, and that's the reason why. I've had people, I mentioned this before, I've had people tell me, well, you know what? If this doesn't happen, I'll never go back to church. Sorry, I'm... You know, that's, you know what, you, you, we're, they're, they're, they're basing their willingness to be in one accord with the body and to love God and love what Jesus died for by something that's probably going to change in four years anyway, or two years, or 30 minutes, <laughs> or whatever. You know, but at the time, it's life and death, and I know what that's like. I do. I know what that's like. Ephesians 2 16 through, which we just read, uh, 2, 13 through 16, tells us that Jews and Gentiles were made one new man. We are one body. We are the body of Christ, okay? Okay, so unity is something that has to be pursued. It's got to be pursued. Let's go on. Number two, the second thought here is that unity is maintained. It's not created by us. We don't create unity. I'm going to create it. I'm going to create an environment. Let me try to get through this real quick. Unity is a gift from God. And because it's a gift from God, the church is called to maintain unity. Not create it. Maintain it. Not create it. Ephesians verse 4, chapter 4, verse 3, he says, make every effort. Everybody say, make every effort to keep yourselves united. Make every effort, he says, to keep yourselves united. United in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Easier said than done, I know. The, the uh, English Standard Version says, eager, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be eager, like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Oh, all right. All right, all right. We drag ourselves forward to be eager. Why? Because unity is the place that God commands a blessing. I want the blessing on my family. I want the blessing on my marriage. I want the blessing on the church. I want the blessing on this city. And let me tell you how the blessing comes to the city. When the church is in unity, this is a gift. The church is a gift to the community. Every church that preaches Christ is a gift to the community. Everyone. 
And when we get into unity, you know what? The city, the, t- the towns, they flourish. Because there's all good things going on? No. Because the church is the place, if it's in unity, that God commands a blessing and the church blesses and extends a blessing and extends a blessing and extends a blessing to your neighbors and extends blessings to your workplace and extends blessings. God commands a blessing where people live together in unity. So he says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. He calls us to maintain or to make every effort. Paul doesn't say this. He doesn't say find unity. He doesn't say create unity. He doesn't say produce unity. He says maintain. Because in Christ, through the cross, through salvation, that's what we unite around. We don't unite around other issues. We unite around the cross. And let me tell you right now, that is a big issue. That is a big matter. That is That right there will take us our whole life if we can connect at the cross. Pursue peace. Seek unity. Let's go to the next one. And there's so many, look, there's so many things here. But I'm just trying to hit these and go, go, go quickly so I can get finished. United, unity grows over time. It's not like, you know, we make a decision and boop, unity is just as big as it ever gets. No, unity grows. It grows. It grows. Or at least unity in the church should grow. It should grow. Notice how verse 3 begins there. We just read that. Ephesians 4 verse 3 says, Eager. Be eager to maintain the unity. of Make every effort. It grows. If we're not eager, then we just slow the growth. I've got plants in my backyard and I haven't been real eager to go out and water them lately. You know? And so you know what? They just keep hanging around. Drying up a little bit. and Get a little bit of sprinkler water running on them. But you know what? There was a day when I was eager to go out and put some water on it. I was eager to go out and pull some weeds. I was eager to go out and throw some fertilizer on it. And you know what they did? They grew. That's what unity is. Unity grows. If we're, we'll be eager, if we will we'll maintain, if we'll move forward and go after it, if we'll put ourselves out there. The emphasis here is on maintaining or keeping unity. Verse 13, Ephesians 4, verse 13, he says, until, so basically, here's what he says. So we're going to continue be, making the effort and being eager. He says, until we all reach unity in the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Paul teaches us that unity is not unchanging. It's not unchanging. It can change. Let me tell you something. I have been in complete unity with my wife. And five minutes later, if I allow it, if I allow something to come in, or the next day, let's maybe not go five minutes, but that has happened. We're not in unity. And instead of backing down or, or you know, basically there's, there's a division. There's a break. And you know what happens? My peace goes. The blessing of God on my heart, which is the peace of God, it goes. I don't have the grace to do much of anything. I just kind of stagger on to the next thing I got to do. I don't like being 
in disunity with anyone. I don't like being in disunity with my wife. Listen, let me tell you where unity begins. Unity begins with you and God. That's where it begins. You and God. The bottom line is, God, if you say it, I believe it. If you say it, then that's the way it is. I, I, Lord, I, I, I don't understand. But, Lord, if you said it, I agree. I mean, I'm okay. I mean, yes, yes, Lord. We can't say Lord and not do what he says because he's not Lord if we don't do what he says. Yes, that's where unity begins, where we just trust God, Lord, whatever you say. And then from there, it goes to relationships. And not for me, it's got to go to my wife. We have to be in one accord. Now, we don't agree on everything. As a matter of fact, there's many, many things that we don't agree on. Probably more things than I would like to talk about right now. But that doesn't matter. We agree on the basic things that, you know, as for us and our house, we will serve the Lord. As for the way we handle our money, we will serve the Lord with it. As for the way we raise our children, we will serve the Lord and we will raise our children to know God. As for the way we respond to one another, we're going to forgive, we're going to be kind. I'm working on that still. I am. All of us are. But the thing is, is at least we know what helps us maintain that unity. And then after that, you know, it would go to our children, to our families extended, and to others and others and others. But you know what? If we're not right at the top with God, unity, but I'm going to try to be in unity with whoever. You know what? It's like I'm spitting into the wind. It doesn't work. I got to be, I have to be in unity with God because unity grows over time. I have to be eager to maintain it on every level that I can. Okay, number four. And this is an interesting one. I was just going to take a personal story. Unity is most opposed by pride and self-interest. You know, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, golly, this has to be back in 1845 when I was a young boy. <laughs> this was probably back in um, 80, I don't know, 86, 87, 1986, 1987. And I was, um, it probably wasn't even, it was probably earlier than that, doesn't matter. But anyway, it was a long time ago. And um, somebody brought uh, and, and gave money, gave me some money, through, through, gave it to Pastor Messer, and they said, here, I want Tom to go buy a guitar. I was playing a guitar. It was a guitar my brother bought, brought back from the Philippines when he was in the Navy. And yeah, I was happy with it, but you know, it was just a guitar. It was all right, but it wasn't the best. And I was, you know, how it is. You're always dreaming of a better guitar. And, and this guy was actually a music teacher. And so he knew what good instruments looked like. And he said, so he comes in and he hands Pastor some money. And Pastor calls me in and he says, hey, I want you to, I want you to go and uh, he wants you to go pick out a guitar, whatever guitar you want. And if, he says, and if this isn't enough, I mean, if this isn't enough, this is more than enough. He says, he said, if this isn't enough, you let him, you let me know, and I'll let him know. Well, at any rate, long and the short of it, my brother-in-law, Brad, if Brad sees this, I love you, Brad. <laughs> my brother-in-law, Brad, look, my, Brad is an amazing musician. He's an amazing singer. He's a worship pastor in, in Phoenix, a church in Phoenix, and we played music together at that time, um, and, well, he played music, and I just kind of fumbled around. And, uh, but at any rate, he was, he was just great. I just loved to listen to him sing. And I learned a lot from him, but there was a time in that where I just got real, I don't know. I just got, I got crossed. I got crossed with him and, and, but I didn't tell him because, you know, why should he know that I'm, um, what's the word? Jealous. (laughs) 
And so I just remember during that time uh, when, when that happened and there was the money, and I'm thinking, Dana says, why don't you ask Brad to go with you to pick a guitar out? And I'm going, oh, I look like, you know, the, the Grinch. I turned green. What? You know, I don't need his help. Anyway, I kind of wrestled around with that for a few days, and, and the Lord took me to the woodshed and told me, you know what? You call him, and you ask him to go with you. I'm thinking, I don't want a guitar then. <laughs> I didn't say that. But my point is this. We were basically, I created a real division in my heart with him because, um, whatever, I have to just say it was jealousy. Um, long and the short of it, I, uh, I finally, after I come out of the woodshed about the third time, I finally called him and I said, hey, bud, listen, I said, hey, this is what happened, man. Somebody gave some money, wants me to go buy a guitar, but man, I really, and I didn't know what to buy. And I said, I don't know what to buy, but man, what, would you be willing to go with me? And I'm thinking, oh. but in my heart, I'm thinking there's something that's breaking inside of me. Long and the short of it, he says, Tom, I'd love to go with you, man. What are you thinking about getting? And I had some ideas. Anyway, we chatted about it. He said, man, I can't. I can't get off work and all. And you know what happened then? My heart went, dang, I really want you to go. <laughs> and that was true. But the thing was, I had to confront issues. Him and I were at odds. Him and I had this thing. So anyway, long and the short of it, uh, unity is opposed by, by stuff like that. Things that just drive a wedge. And it's like, what did he ever do to me? He just got way, 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 way better than I was. And I didn't like it. I didn't like it. So anyway, Ephesians chapter two, uh, 4, verse 2. I love this verse. And, and uh, it's, it's a hard verse. He says, be completely humble. Completely be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Humility, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, and love. That's what it takes to maintain unity. That's what it takes for us to be in unity. Starts with God, goes to your home. And then from your home, it flows out from there. But if it's not, if you don't have unity here with our relationship with God and in the home, you know what flows out from there? whatever you want to call it, but it isn't unity. Because unity actually flows from the top out. From the top out. So without these, I'll call them garments of grace, nothing is ever going to succeed. The last one, and I'm going to cover this pretty quick here. Unity, the unity that God gave His church is very, very unique. It's very unique. There was a book that uh, we read years ago um, Dana had this book. It was by Bobby Bobby Houston. What was it called, Dana? You remember? It doesn't matter what it was called. But she was talking about fellowship. She was talking about fellowship, and she just talked about how the fellowship was unique to the body of Christ. People think they have fellowship, that, like in the bar or whatever at the bowling alley. That's just that's that's okay, and they might even call it fellowship, but it's not fellowship because fellowship is is based on a relationship that we have together with Christ. That's what unity is. We can have, we can have connection. We can have, uh, familiarity and things. I like this. I like that too. Oh, we're in unity. Well, no, we're just kind of familiar with the same things. Unity comes when our hearts become one. When our hearts become one. That's what God wants. And let's go back to the beginning verse that I read. So that the world will 
believe, when the world sees the church, and I'm going to get back to this in a second, when the world sees the church in one accord, not being weird, but it may look weird to the world because they're in agreement about nothing anymore. And not at this point in, in time. They're in agreement about nothing. They always look for something to pick apart or dis- disagree with. But the unity that God has given His church is very, very unique. You know, the Olympics, every four years, this country comes together. USA, USA, USA. And every two to four years or whatever it is, they come together around their political uh, affiliation and it's like they're, they're on their platform. Even people that are at odds with, with the, the platform and the party, they'll come into the fold because at least we want our party to win. And then they, that's basically what they call unity. We have to be in one. We have to be in one accord. It's a different type of a unity. It's different. It's very different. Every day people join clubs, gyms, fraternities, organizations because of certain interests that they have that they like together. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the kind of unity that God has given to the church. Uh, this makes what the church has or what the church has makes those things look very, very different. Our unity is based on the invisible reality of God. How many of you have seen God today, physically seen God? Nobody. But here we are. Here we are. Man, I love God. Who? God. I love God too. Oh, I love God. Oh, we love God. And I know we, we do. Have you seen him? No. But there's something about that. The Spirit of God has bound us together by his, by the cross, through the cross, through salvation, that we can be in one accord and not even have laid our eyes on God himself. Not even laid our eyes on Jesus. Not even laid our eyes on the Holy Spirit, but we lay our lives down for him. We live our lives. We get up and we order our steps for him. Why? Because this unity is not based on some kind of an affiliation, a natural affiliation. It's based on salvation. We know, those of us that are born again, we know that our sin is forgiven. We know that we have a relationship with God. We know that eternal life, that one day, and I'm getting closer to it every day, and I'm not worried about it. I'm not afraid. I'm okay with it. One day I'm going to go be with Jesus. It's all good. But I'm in unity with God on that. I trust him. And that's what we join together on is, is the fact that we have a realities about God. Uh, there's a, nothing visible or natural about this unity in itself. We just come together. A Christian, a Christian unity is based on us believing that there's a God that is a three-in-one, a triune being. There's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How does that work? We don't know. We don't know. Can someone please explain the Trinity to me? And don't use the apple or the egg. I'm just saying because God, we can't boil God down, but I understand the analogy doing all that. We don't know. But you know what? We know that God is the Father. We know that God is the Son that came and died on the cross. And we know that the Holy, God is the Holy Spirit that's here with us. Man, I'm unified. I, we're in one accord on that matter. Man, I'm telling you right now. Unity is the place that God absolutely commands his blessing. So by contrast, let me read this last part here. Unity described in Ephesians chapter 4. And you ought to take time to read that chapter. It's fundamentally different. It's it's a unity that the world cannot create or explain. It's a unity that comes from a crucified Lord 
who sent his son to raise dead people to life, to fill them with his love. And so in short, it is a unity that has no earthly explanation. can't explain this. But here's what I do know. That if we can find ourselves, we can pull ourselves back in or into that place of unity and realize that a lot of things don't matter. But what does matter? What matters is that the world would believe. And when we are in unity, we create an environment that the world may look and not understand and go, ah, they're a bunch of weirdos, but they can't quit looking. They can't quit looking. They can't quit paying attention. Maybe they want to see something even more weird, and so they do. They see us forgiving and and moving forward and, and coming back together if we have problems, and it's like, man, I would never, I know, but we as the church do. And why do we do that? So that the world will believe. That's why Jesus went to the cross, so that the world would believe. That's the reason Jesus prayed for us, so that the world 